Well done. No one would have known you've never sung that before. That's great. So it's a lovely song. It's beautiful lyrics, real stuff. You know, I'm not into a Christianity that's airy-fairy, floaty-floaty. You know, Christianity is sometimes pain and suffering and sorrow. It's also joy and, and elation. It's lots of good things as well. But, it's, but, it, but let's have, they, they both. And uh, sometimes for a Christian, the rubber hits the road when the going's hard and tough and difficult. Right, and that's why we need one another. Right, and I think that song beautifully captures the reading, actually, from James 5. A simple little refrain, for this I have Jesus, for this I have Jesus. So I'm going to turn to that passage now, and I'm going to click something, I think. Do I click it once? That's brilliant, thank you. So James, when he wrote that letter, he clearly was addressing suffering saints, wasn't he? And he just says to them, be patient. And I think that remains, this te- makes this text still very relevant for us today. And as I said a bit earlier, I know there's a number of suffering saints in this room this morning. All right. And it's great that you're here too. Patient endurance had been James' adv- advice right at the beginning of this letter. If you went back to chapter 1, verse 2 of chapter 1, we read this. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. I think we all know that God is not going to right all the wrongs of this world until our Lord Jesus returns. And therefore we all have to, at times, patiently endure situations whilst looking forward to that day of hope. And also, to emphasise this this point, uh, James, three times in the first three verses, seven to nine, reminds us of the coming of the Lord. He's talking about patience, but he's not just saying, just be patient. But he says, being patient. Why? Because. And three times in verses seven to nine, he does this, it's because, effectively. If you were to read Titus, chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul, in that letter, uh, he writes, he describes the coming of the Lord Jesus as the blessed hope of every Christian. The blessed hope of every Christian. So we know, as followers of Jesus, I certainly hope we know, that we cannot expect just to have things easy and comfortable in this present life. We would like them easy and comfortable, but that's a totally different matter Altogether. If you think about Jesus himself, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. That's the words of Jesus, isn't it? And what did he say after that? Sorry. I've overcome. Yeah, yeah. Take heart, he goes, because I've overcome the world. And if you look at Paul in Acts, Acts 14, this is, He reminds those those earlier followers, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. It's there in different parts of the scriptures. We might not wish it were so, but it is so. Suffering is a reality we will all face at times. But I think what James is trying to do to his early readers, but also I think right through time, look by the Spirit to us, is to help them think about how they as Christians, as Christ followers should respond to difficulty and hardship. Being patient means 
staying put, enduring something which we would much rather run away from or take a different route to. Another word that's often used in some uh, translations, which is quite an old word, but it's a good one, is long-suffering. Because it try, it's not just a day sometimes. Sometimes it's months and sometimes it's years. There's a sense of long-suffering. And that's underneath the, these texts as well. It's not just a you know, passing little issue. If it, if it, if it issue. It's bearing of something that remains with us for an undefined, unknown period of time. Right? We don't know how long it's going to go on for, and it's, it's that. But what we do know as Christians is that it, there will be an end to it. It isn't interminable. To help those long-suffering Christians of his days, James gives three examples in our reading of how we might want to reflect on patient endurance. And we're going to look at these three in a minute. The first one turns up in the, the first uh, verses 5 to 9, which is the image of the farmer. The second one uh, in verse 10 is the prophets. He points to the Old Testament prophets. And lastly, verse 11, Job. You know, Job. The patience of Job is uh, obviously very well known. You know, it's not just a Christian, you know, that, you know, the patience of Job, someone who has just amazing patience. And yet we have that text that right there in the heart of our scriptures for our edification and to teach us as well. So I'm going to look at the farmer and just reflect on this a little bit. And some of you are gardeners, I know, so you may want to think of it a bit of that from a gardening perspective. If you're more familiar with gardening than farming, you might find putting in the gardening word there might be helpful. Be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. So once again, bang, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. With this drought, waiting for the rain is something we can relate to. You too, therefore, be patient. Stand firm, for the Lord's coming is near. If a person is impatient, then it might be better they did not become a farmer or a gardener. No crop, no flower appears overnight, and none of us have any control over the weather, as we're learning in a whole new way in these times. Too much rain can cause the crop to rot. Too little can just burn it up. An early frost or a late frost can ruin it altogether. So consider how long-suffering a farmer has to be with the fickle weather, something he has no control over and yet is totally dependent upon. He can't go, you know, move away from it. He's totally dependent on it. The farmer must also have patience because it takes time for plants to grow. The father has to wait weeks, months sometimes, to see the fruit of his labour. So why does he so willingly put up with so much, wait so long? Well, James says in verse 7, it's because the crop is valuable to him, because the crop is precious to him. What's going to happen is the goal, although the, the road, as it were, can be a rocky one. The, the crop is the goal that the farmer has set his sights upon, or the, maybe the flowers in a garden for the gardener. There can be often a very tortuous, rocky path as we go down that road uh, towards that crop. And James, in this passage, pictures the Christian as a farmer, but as a spiritual farmer. One with his eyes set on a spiritual harvest. One with his eyes set on the fact that Jesus is returning, will return. 
And therefore, in the light of that, he says, you too, you, you, you need to be patient too, but stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. I think an important aspect of Christian endurance when the going is hard is to remember that God wishes to create a harvest in our own lives as well. He wants to see the fruit of his spirit, in Galatians 5, grow in us, develop in us. And at times, the only way he can do that is through disturbing the soil of our lives, plowing it up, as it were, preparing it once more so that new seed can be sown and hopefully in time new life and new fruit revealed in us as well. So instead of just growing impatient with God and God's timing and impatient with ourselves, James says we must yield to the Lord and permit his spiritual growth, spiritual fruit to grow in us. The ministry of the word of God and prayer are important if the heart is going to be in time more fruitful for God. Let us not forget the farmer does not stand around doing nothing. He always seems to be at work, tending, nurturing, looking forward to that day when he can gather the harvest. James did not tell those suffering believers of his time to put on white robes and climb the hill and sing nice songs, waiting for their Lord to return. Instead, he tells them to keep working while they were waiting, to be patient, but to be active, not passive. He adds in verse 9, he says, also, don't grumble against one another or you will be judged. He's reminding us here, I think, that our impatience with God, why is God taking so long, can turn into our impatience with one another. So we then turn that frustration on one another instead of just God. Farmers, if you think about it, have little time for scrapping picking fights with their neighbours. They need to keep their eyes fixed on their goal, knowing they, knowing they have far more important things to take care of. And I think there's a little message there, I think, for us too. Uh, it's a warning. But if our imp- in, in our impatience, if we start turning our sickles on one another, we might miss out on that harvest altogether. So we have the image there of the farmer, and then we have the, the prophets, So then James says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets, look at them, these people who spoke in the name of the Lord. And a Jewish congregation that he would have had would have understood very quickly this reference that James is making to the Old Testament prophets. Jesus did the same thing actually in his Sermon on the Mount. If you read Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12, he used the prophets as an example of those who have eventual victory over persecution. So what can we learn from their examples of patience in the face of suffering? Well, for one thing, they were clearly trying to do the will of God. And that didn't exclude them from suffering, did it? They were preaching in the name of the Lord and they were persecuted for it. The enemy will sometimes tell the faithful Christian that their suffering is a result of their sin or their unfaithfulness. And yet the reality can be just the opposite, that their suffering is actually due to their faithfulness. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, Paul writes, in fact, everyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
We must never think that our obedience to God will automatically produce an easy, comfortable life. Let us not forget that our Lord Jesus, though he was completely obedient, that road led him to the cross. But the example of the prophets here that James is pointing us to can encourage us by reminding us that God continues to watch over their lives even when they endured much suffering for the sake of his name. He didn't abandon them. I don't know who said this quote. I found this quote. I couldn't find who, um, who said it, so it's anonymous as far as I'm concerned. The will of God will lead you, well, sorry, the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. I found it quite useful. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. I think that's very helpful. Many of the prophets had to endure great trials and sufferings, not only at the hands of unbelievers, but also at the hands of professed believers as well, other Jews. If you think Jeremiah, he was arrested by his fellow countrymen, thrown into an old well to die. Ezekiel, Daniel, and many others had their fair share of hardships. But in time, the Lord delivered them all. We might want to question, why is it that those who speak in the name of the Lord, who try to proclaim the gospel and must often endure difficult trials? Well, I think one reasonable answer is so that their lives may back up their message. The impact of a faithful, godly life in suffering carries much power to those who witness around it. We need to remind ourselves that our patience in times of suffering can be a powerful, maybe silent, testimony of our faith in Christ and it's a witness to those around us. It reminds us that not all witness requires words. James points us to the Old Testament prophets and he seeks to encourage us to spend more time in their company, getting more acquainted with those heroes of faith. Paul writes in Romans 15, he said, for everything that is written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. As we get to know those heroes of faith in the scriptures better, God through them can often encourage us and grow patience in us to live with the difficult trials of our own lives. So those first two images, the important thing I think is, like the farmer, that we keep working. And like the, 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 the prophets, we keep witnessing, even when we think we've got re good reasons not to. And that brings me to the last one which James looks at, which is uh, the patience of Job. Another hero of faith, or maybe one of the ultimate hero of faith in some ways. He writes, As you know, we consider it blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about there, for the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. We cannot persevere unless there is something to persevere with. There can be no victories without battles, there can be no mountaintops without valleys. If we want the blessing, we must be prepared to carry the burden and engage with the trials placed before us. And where do those blessings come from? Well, in my experience, so often in the midst of our trials. And James points this, makes this very point by pointing to Job. 
That's why he's picked Job. It's a book that records Job, a man who endured much suffering with great patience, never tempted to run away, to abandon his faith in the God and all that he knew God was for him. It's a long book. Chapters are filled with speeches that can seem rather long and tedious at times. At the beginning, we have Job's distress, where he loses his wealth, he loses his health, and loses his family, all apart from his, his wife, who rather unhelpfully tells him to just go curse God and die, which probably wasn't great either. And then in most of the book, we have Job's defence as he debates with his three friends as to why, why, why has this happened to him? How unjust it seems, how wrong. He can't understand. And yet it's only right towards the end, the last four chapters of Job, where we see Job's deliverance. A deliverance in which God first humbles Job and then honours him. In studying the experience of Job, the wisdom is it's so important to remember that throughout, Job did not know what was going on behind the scenes between God and Satan. Job's friends just took the simple theological option and accused him of being a sinner and a hypocrite, <clears throat> saying there must be some terrible sin in your life, they argued, or God would never have permitted this to happen. But Job disagreed with them and maintained his innocence throughout. His friends were wrong. God had no cause against Job. In the end, God rebuked his friends, not Job himself. And it's difficult to find a greater example of perseverance in the face of suffering than Job. Satan had predicted that Job would get impatient with God and abandon his faith. But that did not happen. Though Job questioned God's will, cried out to him in his distress, he did not once forsake his faith in who God was. In fact, it was because Job was so sure of God's real character that he persevered, arguing with him, even though he did not, could not understand all that God was doing. It's not surprising that for centuries, for millennia, people have spoken about the patience of Job, a man in the face of suffering. It's a powerful example to us all right now. There are mysteries to God's working which our finite minds can never fathom. But this we do know. By the end, God was glorified and Job was purified through this difficult experience. When the world seems against us, Satan wants us to get impatient with God. For an impatient Christian is a powerful weapon in his hands. And let's be honest, when Satan attacks us, when trials and suffering fall upon us, it's easy to become impatient with God, angry with God. So to close this reflection this morning, I've chosen this verse from 2 Corinthians 12, which I should also probably put on the screen. An example Paul wrote about, a very personal example, he described as a thorn in his flesh. He said, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul describes that thorn in his flesh as a messenger 
of Satan. Paul could have fought against it. Paul could have given up under it. Paul could have tried to deny that it existed at all, but he did none of these things. Instead, he trusted God for the grace he needed. And by doing so, he turned Satan's attack into a tool, not only for the building up of his own spiritual life, but also for that of the church around him. When we find ourselves in the fires of life, might we also remember to go so freely to Jesus, to the throne of grace, and receive from him what we need to endure. James seeks to encourage his readers to be patient, long-suffering in their trials, but urging them all the time not to lose sight of the bigger picture. Being patient in the face of suffering for a Christian is not an empty gesture because we know the one in whom we placed our trust. Paul writes in Romans 5, verse 3, he goes as far as to say, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. So finally, to close, like the farmer, we are gathered here waiting for a spiritual harvest, not just in our own personal lives, but in the world around us. And therefore, while we wait, we need to be active fruitful for God's glory, even when we're dealing with our own struggles. And like the prophets, might we not forget how we are to respond to our own passing trials, or try to, with God's grace, so that that might be a witness to those around us. And lastly, like Job, as we wait for the Lord's return, let us affirm that God never causes his children to suffer needlessly. For as James reminds us in the closing verse of our reading, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So as I say, you may come here this morning considering yourself a suffering saint, and I know there's a number of you who've got good grounds to feel that way. Um, But I think the reading I read from Psalm 130 to open uh, this morning, I think applies to close this message. Verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, in his word, I put my hope. Amen.